This is episode 366 of the AWS podcast, released on April 26, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back. Not in the normal location. This is a uh, COVID-19 lockdown recorded episode, which means I'm coming to you live from my kitchen, which unfortunately means there's a little bit of echo, but that's okay. You may hear the odd bird as well. Um, but we're, we're, we're practicing with diverse recording locations because we want to give you the content you want, uh, regardless of this uh, challenging time. We hope you're all staying healthy, we're all keeping your hands clean, and that everyone is well. Now, I'm joined by a very special guest all the way from Vancouver. We'll speak about this shortly. I'm joined by Mr. Tim Bray, who is Vice President and Distinguished Engineer here at Amazon.com. And you'll also be familiar with the name. You're probably thinking, where have I heard that name? Um, had a little bit of uh, something to do with uh, a little thing called XML, but uh, welcome to the podcast, Tim. Well, that was about a thousand years ago, that, that XML <laughs> stuff. And you know, here we are, and you'd expect a AWS conversation to be a Seattle to Seattle thing. And you're in a kitchen, which I don't think it's in Seattle, right? No, I'm in a kitchen in Melbourne, Australia, and, and, and you're in a novel location too, from what I understand. Well, it turns out I'm actually in a boat because, you know, we're working from home these days and we only have one office there and my wife's in it. Um, unfortunately, I have a small boat, which however has a door that closes and a microphone in it. So there you go. And you- the kitchen, talk about the cloud. With the, with the lockdown, how are you folks holding up? Yeah, look, I, I think I think everyone's making the best of it. Uh, our our kids started their school holidays a week early this week, so that was part of the strategy that was used. So, uh, some very happy kids at home. They're all uh, on their headphones at the moment because they know that dads are recording the podcast and they have to be quiet. <laughs> how's uh, how's Vancouver bearing up? It's you know I have to say that people are feeling some stress. We're all sort of making this up as we go along and working, learning how to work from home by working from home. And, uh, you know, just uh, I got to tip my hat to the people who aren't working from home because they're out there working in the medical system and the supply chain and so on and keeping us all fed and alive. And, and uh, I think we should just do our bit by staying home and not going out there and being disease vectors. So, this is true. This is uh, true. This is what we should be doing. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned you're on the boat, and I, I believe there's been some uh, interesting engineering required to get audio going on the boat. Oh, yeah. So the way it works is I'm getting the internet through my, my cell phone. So it's sitting here on, on my table beside me. And uh, then I sign in through my Mac, which is what I'm talking to. And then I Bluetooth the Mac to my boat audio system. So your voice is coming out of the ceiling of, of my boat. It's, it's, it's totally steampunk. It seems to work fine. I, I'm just very excited that my voice is booming down from the top of the boat. <laughs> I, th- I think uh, I think Tim, you're right. You know, I, I touched on on XML, which is you know, that's the I think the IT equivalent of I like your old stuff better than your new stuff for bands. And uh, you've been very very busy since then in many many different amazing roles. But I'm going to ask you this question: Is what have you done for us lately, Tim? <laughs> Tell us about something you've been working on, which is uh, uh, something called Express Workflows, which is the topic of the conversation today. And this is, I think, a really interesting topic related to AWS Step Functions. So, so people may have been familiar with Step Functions, which help orchestrate workflows, which was kind of a, a problem domain we had to tackle. But before we even dive into that, let's just talk about what, what is Express Workflows? What does it do? Well, um, we've had workflows for a couple of years now in the Step Functions product. 
and they've been catching on pretty well. And so express workflows is very, very similar. You know, there's this JSON uh, domain specific language for modeling the, the workflows. We call it the states language and we call, you know, representation of workflow a state machine. And the same ones work both in, in standard workflows and express workflows. Um, and running, you know, the same state machine on the two service flavors should produce exactly the same results. But let me talk through some of the highlights. First of all, the big thing about the express workflows is they're faster. The state to state transition speed is at least 10 times faster and there are way higher limits on concurrency. By default, you can run 6,000 workflow executions per second and, and we can go way, way higher. And probably for what will be the biggest deal for a lot of other people is the pricing model. So instead of the classic, you know, pay for each uh, state to state transition, we're using a model that looks a lot like Lambda's based on how many you start and how much memory and time you burn. And in practice, it is really a whole lot cheaper, really a lot cheaper. Some other big differences. The output goes straight into CloudWatch logs. Uh, interestingly, for years, the standard workflow logs have only been available through the APIs on the service, but now they're going to CloudWatch logs too, so, so Express actually got there first. So those are the highlights, faster, cheaper, and with a different logging structure. So, so all those things uh, sound like all kinds of goodness. So being a good engineer, I'm going to look at it and say, well, it's all better. Why wouldn't I just use that for everything? Yeah, but you know, in this world, there's no free lunch and there are some limitations. Probably the uh, most important is, is the crash handling model. You get what we cloud geeks call exactly once. Standard workflows go to fantastic lengths to preserve every atom of information about a state machine. You know, with express workflows, if the host running your workflow blows up halfway through, well, we just, you know, re restore the state and, and you never notice a difference. With express workflows, you know, if you, if you, if you blow up, uh, we'll just restart the workflow from the top. So it, once again, exactly once execution, and it could be the case that a workflow ends up being run more than once in, in the case of an unfortunate failure at the wrong time. Um, what else? Uh, oh, all of the step function service integrations like Lambda and SNS and SQS and Dynamo and EMR and so on work, but only in their uh, sync mode, not in their async mode. And there are a couple of other small capabilities that, that aren't there. For those who, who are real step functions better and you know about a thing called activity task, which is something you can run on your own computer outside the service and polls for work, um, we, we don't have that. And on, on the other hand, the, the, the integrations are, are all there. And then there's a time limitation. An express workflow can only run for five minutes, whereas you know standard workflows can run for a, a year. Super long, if yeah. Necessary. yeah. Yeah, um, and, and finally, uh, once they're running, you know, you can't actually describe them or visualizing them while they're running, only after, only by looking into CloudWatch logs once they've completed. And, and finally, and I'm not sure whether this is a feature or a bug, the express workflow logs go into CloudWatch logs and by default, they are retained forever, which, you know, might not be what you want because among other things, it, it isn't free. Now there are, you know, apps around there to automate CloudWatch logs, migrations and, and things like that. Having said all that, you know, you know, having your execution output there in CloudWatch logs can be super useful because you can do things like log insights and uh, figure out what your most lambda expensive lambdas are, or index them, or archive them, and, and do all sorts of things. Um, but so faster, cheaper, but with uh, certain limitations. Yeah, it's it's always important to understand the caveats. Now. I think Tim, it's it's interesting to sort of step back and think. Well, there's there's you know you're, you're there with a, a very talented group over there in Vancouver, and I think it's interesting when people think AWS, I typically think Seattle because that's where head office is, and lots of super talented teams there. But we have uh, service teams all around the world, and 
the one that works on this is uh, located uh, in Vancouver, which is pretty exciting. So when you were sitting there taking in the, the beautiful sights, sounds and experiences of Vancouver, why did this come to mind as something we should build for our customers? Well, I'll take that up. But since you brought up Vancouver, let me say a couple of words about that. Vancouver is a, a big office here for Amazon. We've got uh, more than we've got a couple of thousand or more engineers sitting here in Vancouver, and it works well because it's you know in the same time zone as Seattle, and and, and not very far away. And it's 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 a good place to hire people. You know, it's easy to attract people to come to Vancouver. And there are some people you know for whom uh, uh, Canada is a more attractive option in the states for one reason or another. So so Vancouver is really a hotbed. For, for AWS, and it's, it's a great office and a great place to work, and I'm, I'm grateful to have a job here. Okay, so why did we go and build Express? So it turns out that a couple of years ago, when we cooked up the state's language and step functions, we were thinking of long-running, heavy-lifting workflows like you know massive media processing jobs or big company, big process automation, and that worked out fine, and, and that's mostly what people do. But it turns out that we had customers who liked the state's language and wanted to use it in a more event-driven applications, you know, thousands of events per second, perhaps. Here's a super simple example to give a flavor. Suppose you want all the events coming off a big game server processed by a Lambda, which is extremely plausible, but that Lambda sometimes blows up. Maybe it's got a dependency failure or a transient problem or something. So what you want to do is maybe retry a few times, and if you can't get it to go, run another Lambda to clean up. It's sort of like wrapping a try-catch finally around a Lambda. Perfectly obvious thing to do. And this is what, exactly what the customers wanted. But the pricing model for standard step functions just wasn't going to work for them at scales of thousands and thousands per second. And for event handling, they didn't care if failed it workflows got rerun. You know, it's not going to happen that often and it just wasn't a big deal for them. So once we convinced ourselves that this was uh, something that would actually meet some customer needs, it wasn't even very hard. You know, we had already had all the software to parse the state machines and do the branching and call out and retries and so on. So it wasn't that uh, heavy lift on the engineering side and uh, it seemed to be something that people really needed. And that's one of the great things. I mean, we, we often talk about the fact that you know, over 90% of our roadmap is from customer feedback and, and customer feedback is not just around services that don't exist so they wish exist, but it's more often the case that it's something we've built and they say, well, that's, that's great. <laughs> I'm loving that. However, if you could just do this or that or work this way or have this pricing model, and that's just absolute gold. So, so I guess maybe, Tim, let's think about you know, who should be using these, uh, these express workflows? How do, they, how do they fit into someone's environment? You know, I'll take that up. But once again, I'm going to bounce off something you said there and expand a bit. You know, it's it's really a conversation between ourselves and the customers. The com customers will come and say, well, we have, you know, a problem with, with X, we need Y. And we'll think about that and come back and say, well, would, 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 would Z be a better idea? And, oh, yeah, that would work well. And so we'll build Z to meet their need and it works out well. And then they'll come back to us and say, well, that's great. But, you know, we're using this, doing it for this other thing and it doesn't work this well in another scenario and then we'll do that and, and you know it's a continuing conversation and, and we none of us know what the right answers look like when we start the conversation but we, we do make progress iteratively and, and conversationally so to, to get back to your point about you know what we built uh, who, should, who should be using these things um that's a hard question because this is an awfully horizontal technology there are a lot of places where they make sense It'd probably be easier just to run through a couple of the actual applications the customers are running. Mm. 
Um, so for example, we've got uh, one big customer in financial services uh, using express workflows for super high volume data ingestion. So the data input is cash transaction and that's transformed by express workflows and Lambda into data that can feed into their ERP system. And you know, whereas I like the idea of state flowing through a state machine, I like the idea of cash flowing through it also as well. <laughs> then there's a public, Real cash public money. sector or, <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's, it's more interesting than JSON. Um, a, a public sector org we've got with hundreds of thousands of weather sensors is using Express to process the stream of data from these devices. Uh, once again, you know, dressing up the input so it can go into the, into their weather forecasting system. So I think there's a repeating pattern here, you know, relatively lightweight processing of high volume input. Uh, here's another one. Here's a transportation company. Uh, using Express to aggregate data across a, a whole bunch of like millions of per day data points coming off IoT devices out there to update their mapping application. And the idea is that they want to provide drivers with accurate routes that are updated like really short term for things mm. like construction and you know rush hour accidents. Uh, once again, high volume, uh, lightweight processing, and and another transport company is using it to pull data out of a bunch of different apps across their enterprise, so they can dump it into Redshift. You know, a little, little bit less real time than the others. Uh, they came back all happy because you know this thing used to take hours, and now it takes minutes. So that's great. Mm, right. uh, in a completely different domain, we have uh, an e-commerce outfit, and they're processing orders once the customer clicks buy and checks out and they get two significant peaks every day. And obviously latency is really important. People are pressing the buy button. You want this to happen quickly. And they were having uh, all sorts of pain scaling this and, and this scales nicely to meet their peak demand and gives them the latency they need. And then finally, you know, to help make the point that this is really a horizontal platformy kind of thing, we've got a tech company using this for call center agent workflows. So the, the idea here is that the workflow goes and gets the customer account info and contact history onto the agent screen while it's actually transferring a call to them, which eliminates some of that aching seconds of silence, you know, when your call clicks through and you wait for somebody <laughs> to, to say hello. And, you know, this is an application where seconds really, really matter. So. You know, I, it's a challenge when somebody says, well, what's this for? And you say, well, anything. Um, <laughs> Everything where it makes sense. Those are some concepts yeah, to, it's, to, it's, to try and make that story tell. Yeah, I think that's really useful to get get some of those examples because this is one of those um, those services you, you could kind of put in the same categories as SQS and SNS, which is it's you know it's, it's it does a really important function, but it, it's kind of hard to explain initially. But once someone's used it as part of their application and their architecture, they're like. I'm reaching for this all the time. You know, when, when these conditions are in place, that's what I'm going to use. If someone's reaching for this, is it is it in uh, most of the commercial regions around the place? Yeah, at the moment, it's in all the regions. You know, and to echo that, um, it's really tough for the marketing people because, you know, we build some <laughs> new product and they come and say, well, what's it for? And we say, well, if for anything, oh, you want. And, and, you know, the marketing person shakes their head and weeps a little bit. Because <laughs> Can you narrow it down from everything to something? <laughs> yeah. But I, but I think just to, to diverge a little bit, I think it's it's important when we're thinking from an architectural standpoint. It's you know one of the the things I see that good architects do is they continuously iterate on the patterns that they use in their designs to take advantage of the best known solution to a particular problem. Now that's not necessarily the newest thing. You know I'm not a big fan of grabbing the shiniest newest thing with lots of rough edges so you cut yourself all the time. But there are certain well-known problem domains that we solve for all the time. And, and, and Tim, I'm guessing in your career, this is not the first time you've had to work to solve for this kind of problem. So it's nice to be able to do it with, with I guess, all the technology and all the capability of the cloud and all the fresh eyes that you have in, in how to solve for this type of use case. 
Well, I, absolutely. You know, and I, I'm, an, I'm an old guy going way back to the old days of Linux where we did everything with shell scripts. And, you know, that may be an old technology, but let me, let me tell you about a, a dirty secret, which is that a lot of our customers are still automating their cloud deployments with, with bash scripts. And um, it happens, it works. It's, it's an old technology. I think in most cases, you would probably be better off doing that with a reasonably modern uh, declarative, workflow engine that does retrying and catching of exceptions and things like that. Doesn't mean, you know, shell scripts are, are bad and I'm sure they will be still used while I'm in my grave. Forever. But we do make some progress, you know, little bits of uh, incremental progress here and there. And so given that these are the express workflows, where does this leave the standard workflows? Well, that's right. There's an old adage that says you should never use anything with classic in its name because, you know, it, it's going to be deprecated. In this case, uh, we're not putting classic in the name and, and we're not going to deprecate them. You know, there are plenty of customers who need exactly what the standard thing provides. There, there was a product that came before step function called simple workflow, which um, got huge uptake inside Amazon, but never got that much outside. And, and it turns out step functions uses the same backend, the same actual workflow machinery. And that software is executing literally billions of workflows uh, a month, a week, pardon me, billions per week for us. And it's obviously not going to go away. It meets the needs exactly of, of what uh, a lot of customers need to accomplish. To start with, I mean, this is going to sound kind of funny, but standard workflows are really good at waiting. You know, when nothing's mm -hmm. happening in your state machine, your execution is just a row on a database. You know, it doesn't cost anything. Um, and it's happy to sit there for a month to wait for something to happen and then move to its next step. And then there are people, you know, who want to run for, for up to a year at a time. And then there's that capability called activity tasks where you might need to integrate with code that's, you know, running not just on an EC2 instance, but maybe back in your own data center or perhaps gasp on somebody else's public cloud. And the activity <laughs> tasks provide a, a nice way to do that. And so standard workflows, they're, they're a good business for us and they're making customers happy and, and they're not going anywhere. And by the way, there's a really interesting pattern we're starting to see emerge. And this is where people have a big master standard workflow that does a big complicated job. But to do it, it fires off loads and loads of express workflows to process one subtask or another. So I don't know, think of your, your huge Zeppelin with little firing little missiles off to do little, little straightforward tasks. This isn't something that we'd actually seen as a big feature, but we're seeing a lot of people adopt that work pattern. So have a look at it. Mm. And that's one of the funnest things. And I think, I think Tim, it'd be good to explore, I guess, your perspective from from the, the service builder side of things is, is when you when you go ahead and build something and release it to to, to the public and they, they use it and they use it in completely novel ways, how do those conversations work? Like, what, you know, what, what are you saying in the office to each other when you start to detect what's going on? You know, this has been happening to me for decades. I've always worked on low-level horizontal technologies and, and many years ago I learned that customers do things to me that do that to me seem completely crazy. And it, that's great. That's brilliant. That's 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 progress. But you know, sometimes we'll get a problem report from from the field about something the customer's doing that they're having trouble with. And the younger engineers will say, but we didn't design it to do that. That's not <laughs> what it's for. And I just have to laugh because, you know, get used to it. People people are smart. People are smarter than you are most times. They'll they'll see things, opportunities that you didn't and and we sh that should make you happy. It's it's uh, it's it's one of the beauties I think of presenting services through APIs is that people can can string them together. And I'm always reminded of uh, you know the 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 concept of the desire path when it comes to architecture, like physical architecture. Where, for example, if you have a, a quadrangle in a in a university, for example, the recommendation is not to put the paths in up front, but to just lay grass across the whole thing 
let people walk where they want to walk and you'll know where to put the paths. And I, I think to some extent we get to do this in, in IT architecture because we're giving people the grass and they're choosing the path they want to go down. It's, it's pretty fascinating to watch it happen at, at a global scale. But, you know, that uh, lesson has been drawn long enough that you can just say, pave the dirt in a technical conversation. <laughs> exactly. And people uh, know what you're saying. But, you know, what, what's kind of funny is that our, our UX designers who hold us to account and trying to pr produce good user experiences, you know, we work through lots of very specific jobs that we think are the things that people are going to do with it. And we're usually at least partly right. Hmm. But, you know, it doesn't stop customers from doing wonderful things that we never thought of. Exactly. So is, uh, is Express part of the broader vision of step functions? Like how does it fit in? Uh, yeah, in, in a very general sense. You know, as I said, it's, it's a super horizontal technology and, and seems to be working well in a lot of different spaces. So I think just our plan is to do anything that will get it into new spaces and, and remove barriers. In this particular case, there was a specific barrier around price and performance, so we went after that. I mean, it seems like this whole thing about orchestrating multi-step processes and catching errors and inserting timeouts and branching based on the shape of the data, all of these things that are things that get done a lot in cloud native apps. There's a super interesting feature pipeline coming along and, and it's basically all this, uh, finding things that get in the way and getting rid of them. Fortunately, and we've got quite a few customers and they tell us, you know, what isn't working. And for the last couple of years, they've been telling us with one voice, it's too expensive, <laughs> make it faster, make it cheaper. <laughs> and, and so we've done that now. And so now we can move on and address a bunch of the other things that people are hearing. And, and no, I'm not going to get into predicting product features on the podcast. Sorry. Damn it. But, I, but I can say that um, uh, this is one where it's pretty easy to plan the future because, you know, there's, there's strong voices saying what they need and it's pretty clear what they need and we can't possibly disagree. So, so our roadmap is pretty clear in front of us. It's going to keep you and the team busy. Now, Tim, I wanted to, to pivot a little bit because uh, you, of course, have your blog, which is called Ongoing by Tim Bryan. I, I follow oh, yeah. your blog uh, closely and uh, – I have detected a distinct upswing in blogging frequency of late. Is this a, uh, a COVID-19 induced, I have more time to write situation or just you've hit a, a purple patch of creativity? Cause you're talking about some really interesting concepts at the moment. Well, that, that's true. What happens is, so yes, you're right. I'm at home a lot more. And, and so there's more time to write. Um, but uh, what happened was back at reInvent, I, I gave a talk about moving to event driven architectures and Without thinking about it very much, I sort of brought focus to bear on a bunch of the features that distinguished different event-based infrastructure and what the useful features are and what the choices are and so on and so forth. And actually ended up on one of my slides as a table of a bunch of popular software offerings and, you know, uh, how they dealt with these things. And, and a bunch of people said, oh, you know, you should publish that table. And I thought, well, no, I should take that speech and turn it into a bunch of blog pieces because you can do a much better job uh, writing in a blog than you can speaking in a stage. So uh, there are, oh, by the time I'm finished, I'm going to have a dozen pieces, on, I think, in this about various features of event-driven software. You know, simple things like, you know, does it preserve ordering or not? Or, you know, does it support deduplication or not? Um, is it push or pull? There's just an endless list of, uh, of these things. Well, not endless, maybe a dozen. And I think, you know, by the time it's finished, it, it ought to be a useful resource for people who are looking at getting into the world of event-driven asynchronous uh, application design, which is almost everybody who is trying to build something that's big and has good scaling characteristics because 
you, you just can't really build a super you know, cloud scale application without having some asynchronous buffering in it to, to help you deal with, with load surges and so on. And that typically means being event driven or message driven. So I'm having fun with this and it'll keep me you know, busy on the blog through the end of this month for sure and, and probably into most of uh, April. Because you know, eventing is, is really at the center of everything. I'm in the serverless group at, at AWS and so we have Lambda and SQS and SNS and the MQ stuff and, and the workflows and um, EventBridge. And all of this stuff has to do you know, not so much with the, the classical paradigm of software that handles requests and looks things up in a database, but with state that comes in from the outside and flows through the system, mm. um, which you know, by and large, I think is 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 the way to go for large, heavily loaded applications. But this, you know, the, the state of the art is not as well defined. It's, you know, there's not that many textbooks you can buy saying how to do this. So somebody's got to start writing it down somewhere. Yeah, I think I think it's likely to become a really useful resource. And and one of the things I think it's important is as we develop and discover new design patterns, is sharing them in the in the community because uh, I see a lot of times with people like I, I wish I could do it this way, but I just don't know enough about it. And even if I think back to you know the, the early days of uh, of AWS, one of the first things we started teaching customers about wasn't so much about EC two, but was about SQS. It's like, let me tell you about queues and decoupling and how this, it was like fundamental to the conversations we were having. And for most people, it was the first time they'd come across a queue unless it had to work in an environment where that was already built for them. So the fact that this is all available as part of the, the, the AWS capability that you can just use, so a lot of that heavy lifting goes away, it becomes now a question of using it the right way, uh, right being a subjective term. Well, well, that's right. You know, and SQS, I like to talk about SQS. SQS is sort of like the perfect uh, cloud service. There's no capacity reservation, no no capacity planning, no hosts visible, just uh, endpoints to scale as much as you want. Just, just does by, a thing. Just by sending traffic. <laughs> and, and let me make another point, which is that AWS has always been sort of tied at the to the blogging medium because the Jeff Barr blog has been uh, a sort of a core feature of how we talk to the world for, oh gosh, I can't imagine how many years it's been these days. And, and people say, you know, the blogs are dead and that's deeply, deeply wrong. Sure, you know, uh, the, the white hot heat is over in Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and so on. But I, let me tell you, when I go out to research on the internet about some hard aspect of cloud technology or event processing or language design or whatever, it seems like I always end up at a blog. You know, the, the actual, way we talk to each other at the deep technical level in public for the long term is still pretty well on the blogs. And, and I, I'm, I'm fine with that. And I don't see any reason that should change. I, I, I emphatically agree. I think it uh, it lends itself to the, a more long form method of, uh, of communication and it's durable as well. You know, it's not this ephemeral stream that's just flying past. It's there's uh, there's the ability to understand what the thinking was at a point in time. And it's, it's also interesting as people sort of gather previous posts on a particular topic and then reflect and iterate on those as well. So you know, this, this, for example, your, your current series in a, a few years time will be the base of someone else's work as well. Well, let's hope so, because I think, I think the whole eventing thing is still got a lot more work in front of it. I would agree. I would agree. Hey, Tim, thank you so much for joining us uh, on water. <laughs> That's right. Well, from uh, False Creek in the center of Vancouver's downtown, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure and uh, look forward to having you back here again very soon. And we do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, keep on building.